Hi there, church family. Good to be with you today as we do our sermon recap for this week. Remember, we are in the pastoral epistles. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17 this past week. Uh, the second sermon in this series. Not, how, not sure how long this series will, will go. We'll just see as it, as it plays out. Usually a little more prepared than that, but I'm not this time. Oh, well. Uh, but uh, we'll be making our way through <clears throat> 1 Timothy, as I said, and our focus today in our recap is verses 12 through 17. And in 12 through 17, we see Paul use himself as an example against the false teachers and what they were teaching. Because it seems as if the false teachers were teaching <clears throat> some sort of addition to the gospel. Uh, it seems like they were using the law to do this. I don't know if it went as far as the teachers in Galatians because Paul was very adamant in Galatians that these are Judaizers and this is what they're doing. It comes out and they just, he says what's happening. Uh, here in Timothy, we don't have the exact details, but it still seems like <clears throat> they're taking the law and they're not using it lawfully. And he's already addressed that uh, in the sermon last week that we focused on. And so as we get to 12 to 17, the way he proves his point about the necessity of the gospel and the gospel only, or Christ and Christ alone, is he uses himself as the example. And so I want to read these verses for us, beginning in verse 12. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is our little section to uh, deal with. And again, we see Paul talking about himself. And Paul starts by giving thanks to God for all strength. And he's pointing off right off the bat that it is Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given him strength to be who he is. Uh, And this encapsulates Paul, his whole being, including spiritually. Uh, His salvation is because of Jesus Christ. His faithfulness is because of Jesus Christ. His ministry is because of Jesus Christ. Everything about Paul, he would say, is because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And he wants to start there, and that is exactly what he does. And so he lifts this thanks up. And uh, I don't know, uh, I'm, I think at this point when he would have wrote this letter would have been a little later in Paul's life. So he's already probably been through some pretty difficult things in his ministry Right, he's already been uh, beaten. He's already been uh, close to death at times. He's been imprisoned. He's faced some really difficult situations in his ministry, and maybe as he reflects back and thinks back, you know, he can think of all the times where where he knows the only way I got through this is because God gave me the strength to do it. You know, the only reason that this would happen is because God allowed this to happen. And, you know, just reflecting on his ministry a little bit of how good God has been to him and faithful God has been to him allows him to be able to say a statement like this. And it's important to know, too, that this is true in Paul's life, that he is thankful 
And that's important because of where this section goes. Uh, Because at the end of 12, he says, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Uh, This is the section I have the most notes on in my sermon. Because, and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts as we do this. At first glance, one might be able to say from this verse that what Paul is saying is God, in his foreknowledge, looked through time and saw that Paul was a faithful person and that he would be a faithful person. And therefore, because of Paul's faithfulness, gave him this task because he knew Paul would be able to do it. What's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that, first of all, is that in the next verse, Paul says, verse 13, even though I formerly was. So so even that, that perspective, while you could perhaps read verse 12 and initially think that on a just a curt like a real quick glanced reading of that of verse 12 right away in verse 13 he contradicts that same idea and says whatever happened in verse 12 whatever that means it's not because paul was was a uh, it's not because of anything virtuous in paul he like you pointed out in your sermon he was a blasphemer a persecutor and a uh, this one says violent aggressor, an insolent opponent. And all throughout Paul's uh, ministry, he never he he doesn't he doesn't ever come across as saying, uh, um, "I was appointed an apostle because of who I am." But it was always the supreme example of God's grace, which again would seem to uh, like again right in verse fifteen, Paul says that I am the foremost of sinners that Jesus Christ came to save. Um, which again would push against interpreting verse twelve in in that in that way. So I think even the verses that you're going that that immediately follow this would would right away um, go against interpreting verse twelve in that manner. Yeah, the context doesn't allow you to read it that way. Yeah, it does. It would be contradictory. Yes, and there's I mean obviously other passages of scripture you would go to that would say. You know, that doesn't make sense to read it that way. Yes. The best way to read scripture is to interpret it with Mm -hmm. other scripture. Yeah. Yeah. To make sure you're not pulling just one phrase or one sentence Mm -hmm. and just using that, but making it fit the whole. And so we know it can't be, you know, even God looking into the future, seeing that I would be faithful. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not even how it works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because Galatians, I mean, I was thinking of Galatians 1. 15, which Galatians was written, written quite quite early. Um, some believe it was Paul's first letter. In fact, but he says, but, you know, verse 15, uh, chapter 1, but when, he, who had, but when he, the Lord, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. So right there is, is kind of evidence that it wasn't, you know, um, Paul's faithfulness, but God did this. God initiated this set apart, setting apart election for, for, um, Paul before he was born, e- even as he testifies in Galatians. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a kind of proof, if you will. Right. So. Right. Right. And Paul's point of verse 15, like you highlighted, Tim, is that <clears throat> Paul seems to have understood that, um, he was a God ordained example, mm-hmm. uh, an extreme example yeah. that God had, uh, specifically ordained to highlight, um, in a sense, on the one hand, the zeal that someone could have for the law without knowledge of, without saving knowledge of Christ, 
but also he says, I am the chief of sinners. And so Paul's point is, if Christ can save me, he can save anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and But if if we're saying Paul was chosen because of his faithfulness, that that then the Paul's point doesn't make any yeah, sense exactly. anymore in verse fifteen. So there's no gospel comfort there, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it it again goes against everything else that Paul would be mm-hmm. trying to point out in these verses. Yeah, and the reason Paul's such a good example against these false teachers is because his previous life before Christ was a perfecter of the law, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. if anybody could declare righteousness based off of the law it would have been him to understand that and he's saying because again this is reading in a little bit to what the false teachers were saying because again paul doesn't come straight out and say this is what i need you to combat but he does say that they're taking um the law and twisting it and so it seems like they're adding to it adding to salvation in christ of saying i don't know maybe like uh you have to keep the Sabbath uh, or keep going to synagogue or you have to mm-hmm. be circumcised or yeah. whatever else they might they might want to add there. And it's it's like Paul is saying, I had all that stuff nailed down. Yeah. Right. It reminds me of what he says in Philippians chapter three when he says but he just lists off all the things that yeah. he had. Right. You know, a Hebrew of right, Hebrews, yeah. Yeah, yeah. persecutor mm-hmm. of the church, mm-hmm. you know, zealous. But then he says in chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Mm-hmm. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, like exactly what you're saying. You know, looking at these false teachers that are trying to prop up the law, Paul said, "All oh, that is rubbish. Mm-hmm. Doesn't count for anything." Right. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. you almost have Paul. Uh, I wonder in verse seven when he says, "Wanting to be teachers of the law," because Paul Paul had a PhD <laughs> right. equivalent yeah. in Old Testament studies. And he studied from the one of the premier scholars of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says, these guys are wanting to be teachers of the law. And he's like, I, if you want to really know what the law is saying, I know what the law said. And I know what I used to think it said. But then uh, Paul, because he's come to know Christ, has come to know the truth about the law in a much deeper sense. Um, that that we can't do it, mm-hmm. and that the law accuses us and convicts us of sin and drives us to Jesus Christ, and so uh, Paul says they they don't understand what they're saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions, and there's I, I wonder if in Paul's mind even he's thinking you know um, you know here's a scholar who knows what he's talking about with the Old Testament. And he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. These are amateurs that are trying to go around and, and playing with the Bible. And here's 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 a here's Paul saying, um, I know what it says, and I know what I used to think, and I know who Jesus Christ is now. Yeah, yeah. Another companion passage with this one would have been in Romans eight. Uh, I kept seeing pop up in different mm. different studies uh, where it's because Paul in Romans eight. Uh, he says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this again, this idea of us doing something to please mm-hmm. God or to obtain some merit, it's just not doable. It's just not possible. 
and Paul deals with this all through throughout his ministry, and we have this in his in his writing there. And so that's why he's setting himself up as this example to look at and not doing it piously. Another another thing that you can look and see that he's not saying he judged me faithful, therefore gave me this task because of me, is it makes his thanks to God disingenuous if that's the case. Uh, it, it really should be God think. God should be thankful for me, right? Mm-hmm. And who I, and who I am, uh, and we we don't see that in Paul's life to think that that's what he's what he's doing here, and that's why he started off with thankfulness uh, to God. But I know, and, and, and also, also real quick, I'm looking here, and I would I don't know the, uh, and Dave might be able to point out too, but um, verse twelve it says because he considered me faithful, putting me into his service. the The word "putting" could be a participle there, and it actually is highlighting and further explaining what Paul meant by considered me faithful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's further. So if, what does it mean? What does Paul mean by the fact that God considered me faithful? Well, he put me into his service. Mm-hmm. That's actually what Paul is highlighting is the fact, not that God looked at me and judged me and said, Oh boy, Paul's a great guy. It's, he says, I thank him for strengthening me. Why? Because he considered me faithful. And by that, I mean, he put me into his service. Yeah, that is a, that is what it's saying. Yeah. yeah. That is the construction. You could use the word it. appointing, too. Yeah. You know, the yeah. Idea of appointment. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was placed. selected. And Paul Wright, in verse chapter 2, is going to say that I was um, appointed a preacher and an apostle mm-hmm. by God, a teacher of the Gentiles for the gospel. Yeah, that's right. All right, so we have Paul uh, thanking God here and appointing him to this service, considering him uh, faithful by doing that, as, as Spencer was just was just talking about. Um, one of the things that I think needs to come up, though, and I, I try, I did address it, is Paul comes across here of saying, because God had what you were just talking about, kind of Spencer. Right. God has appointed me to this task, and I can do this task because God has appointed me to this task. Therefore, I'm going to be able to do it. Right? God is allowing me to be able to do it. He's giving me the strength to be able to do this. How do we compare this, though, to something like um, in Corinthians where it says God uses the foolish of the world to shame the wise? God uses... you know, Because a lot of time we'll look at that passage and you know, the weak to shame the strong... And out of that comes this idea sometimes today where God is going to give you things and you cannot fail because God is on your side, right? There's no, there's nothing's going to be given to you that you can't handle, right? God's not going to do that to you. How how do do you guys see uh, like a comparison there with what Paul is getting and how do we, how do we talk about that? Because that's not the same thing that Paul's mentioning here. And my greatest proof for that is Paul's dead. So he couldn't overcome everything, right? Well, and also, I think the bigger question is, is, well, what has God called me to? Because Paul never understood his calling to be one of constant victory the way the world judges victory. Paul understood, I was called to suffer. So God was going to give him the strength to suffer, to persevere till the point that, till the point in which his life was to cease, um, but the problem is, is the way in which we so often, it's kind of like whenever we look at Jesus's life from, from the world's perspective, unbelieving Jesus's life was a failure because he died. And if you don't think he actually rose again, then all he did was die and he was a martyr. But, um, 
we have to look at things from a different perspective and ask ourselves, what's God doing? And this is why Paul in, uh, was it 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, where God says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So God appointing Paul did give him the, the, the ability and the fidelity, like you quoted the Matthew Henry quote, um, keeping him in perser- and, and upholding him to finish the task that God had appointed him. The problem is, is we often think the task God has appointed to me is always prosperity or joy or bliss in this world, mm. when actually God probably in this world has appointed us. And while there are many good things in this world, there's also suffering in this world. Mm-hmm. There's the cross to bear in this world. And Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, I'm going around carrying around the dying of Jesus in my body. Um, that's, that's what I've been tasked to do, and that's what we as Christians have been tasked to do. We, we look forward to the resurrection in the next world. But I guess for me, like that right away is the, the question is, is um, we've, we've oftentimes misunderstood what God wants from us in this Christian life because we often judge it as if... Uh, as if it's supposed to be roses and skipping the whole way to heaven, but that's not the way it actually works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you ask the question again? No. Okay. Right. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> no, Never mind. Paul, Paul's coming across, and a lot of the commentaries will say, like what Paul is saying is, God has given me the strength to be faithful, and how do I prove that? He's appointed me to this task, right? And since he has appointed me to this task, I will be faithful because he's given me the strength to be faithful. And that kind of seems like it's saying, I cannot fail. God's given me this task. He's going to make me succeed in this task, right? I mean, that's kind of how it how it can sound. Um, and so then I, I'm afraid that people then run with that to think God's never going to put me into a situation where failure is an option because He's always going to give me everything I need to succeed, right? I'm always I'm always going to have the success because God has given me this task here. Yeah, I guess I guess what's going on in that understanding. Is I mean I guess this comes down to the same thing Spencer was saying, but faithfulness. The opposite of faithfulness is not failure. In that in that kind of understanding, right? Failure in terms of I didn't do what I wanted to do. Uh, you can have a desire to do something and be faithful in that task, um, but I mean it could be perceived as failure mm-hmm. at the same time by some people by worldly standards. So I guess I just wouldn't pit those two things against each other, right? The opposite, the opposite of faithfulness is failure because it comes down to what are you considering failure and what are you considering success? Mm -hmm. And we've said many times that success is actually faithfulness, right? And so the only way that you can fail is to be unfaithful to what you've been called to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether that's living as a Christian or being a husband or a father or in ministry um, in other ways that God's called Christians to live. So, yeah, I just, I don't see those two things as being the opposites of each other. And also, and also God does call us and he puts us in positions to suffer in this world. And there seems to be oftentimes the way that that phrase is understood is, well, God will, suffering is something just to get beyond instead of something that maybe that's part of what it is to be faithful in this world. It's like at the end of Paul's life. What, where's he at? He's in prison. Uh, he says, everyone's abandoned me except for Timothy. Timothy's here, right? He's writing to Timothy and second Timothy. Timothy's here and he says, Luke's with me. Demas in love with the present world has gone away. Um, everybody's abandoned Paul. And so from one perspective, 
Paul is suffering and it looks like, has God actually, has Paul actually accomplished the task that God gave to him? Well, actually, yeah, he had. It's just that we would judge success differently than God judges it. Mm -hmm. And so we have to look at it from God's perspective and what his big plan is. And, and he takes, he works all things for good. Um, even whenever for us, at least initially, it looks like there's nothing good going to happen here, but ultimately in the big plan, it is working for good. I do think there is something to be said for attempting things in faith, like things that seem hard or really big or impossible, you know, attempt something that requires faith on your part to do that God will use it, um, in whatever way that might be, whether that's some kind of ministry you want to be involved in or an outreach that you want to be part of, or even something that a a whole church would do that seems really difficult and hard and beyond you in some sense. I think there's something to be said for, we should be it. We should be doing those things that require faith. But again, the failure in that, you know, we can't fail because God is behind this. I think Paul was stoned (laughs) before in some of the places where he would go and preach the gospel. Did he fail? No, that's not a failure in that sense. Um, So I I, I don't know if that's what you were getting at or not, but I do think there's a place to do things that require faith that God is going to do something through it that you can't do yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the reason I didn't go into this in the sermon at all because it, it goes into a lot of other questions. But I'm always very leery whenever anybody comes to me and says, God called me to this. I'm like, what? I don't know. You know, I've had people come to me and say, God has called me to Monroe to go to all the pastors to tell them that they're doing this wrong. I've had that happen. You know, and it's like... That's helpful. Yeah. And then, you know, they start talking to you and you're like, okay, out of context, you obviously don't know how, you don't know the whole Bible. Like, you, you see really quick. But that person's convinced God has given them this task. God has not given you this task. Yep. You know, and that's what I want to say to them. God has not given you this task. But they are responsible. How do you know this? And they wouldn't like my response. It's like, because you're not handling the word of God right. You obviously don't know it. He hasn't given you this task. Who are you to say? I don't know, but I'm just telling you, you're not. You're not given this task by God. And I think one of the things that Paul's pointing out here is God has called him to a special task. He's not saying God is calling all of you to this task. He's saying God has called me to a very specific special task, and we know it was. It was apostolic. That's over. We don't have that anymore. And 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 so we can't place that in our life as saying, you know, God is going to have some very special task for me. You know, the word that you guys have been talking about is faithfulness, and that's just so important. That is your task is to be faithful where you are, right? Faithful in the situations that you find yourself currently And I think there's a problem when we always think, well, there's actually a higher level, a higher plane that God is calling me to. I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. Because then that's when we start to see this failure come in, in our minds, because that's not always true. That's not the, you know, now, like you were saying, Scott, there are times I think where we have to step out of our comfort zone to be faithful to God. And we trust that he will use us. And we must balance that, though with the gifts and abilities and talents that God has blessed us with as well. Mm-hmm. I've also had conversations with men who say, God is calling me into the ministry to preach. <laughs> and, and my response, I, I don't say this to them, but I'm thinking it is absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And it's not based off of how spiritually mature you are or anything. It's you do not have the skills and abilities mm-hmm. to do this. 
And some might say, well, you're just you're just lacking faith that God could use them in a mighty way. It's like, well, I guess, but I mean, God has given us gifts and abilities to do the things we we do, mm. right? And they, we shouldn't downplay that. And so, this is a this is a, a a bad example. Maybe it could be stretched too far. But if I have somebody who comes into the church and he's like, I feel God wants me to help people with their cars. I'm a really good mechanic. But then somebody else comes up and says, well, I think God's given me that task. Well, what's your skills on the cars? I don't have any. Oh, well, I think you should do it because you seem to be more faithful. You seem to have more faith, so you work on my car. Absolutely not. I'm going to go with the mechanic guy, right? Uh, And I think it can go the same way in certain ministries. If you have a skill of being able to teach things well, and you're a Christian and you love the Lord and you're willing to put the study in to teach God's word, you're probably going to make a pretty good teacher mm-hmm. of the word of God, right? Uh, again, this can go on and on, this conversation. Sure. I think the, but, the language that we're uncomfortable with here is the idea that God has called me yeah. to this. You know, like use an example I would think of would be, you know, a person who knows a lot of unsaved families in their neighborhood and they, they come to you and they don't say, you know, I feel like God is calling me to do this. But they say, I really want to do this. Yeah. I think that's a better understanding. Thing, yeah. Right? I really want to I really want to start a Bible study and invite my friends in my neighborhood to come over and do that. It's not this understanding of God's calling me to do this. This is a divine appointment. I'm like the Apostle Paul to my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's a, I know lost people. I desire for them to be saved. This is an idea I had of something I could do. Yeah. Should I do that? Yeah, step out in faith and do that. But the understanding is not there's this divine calling over my life that I can't fail in this because God's called me to this. It's mm-hmm. I have a desire to do this. Pastor Tim, how can I best do this? What material could I yeah. use? Or should I do this? You know, Or how have you seen this done in the past that would be a good way of doing it? That's a very different conversation than this kind of divine appointment. Yeah, think that about the sense. think about the story we're showing to people with God. I, I see this in the church planting movement right now. God has no doubt called me to Decatur, Illinois, right? Oh, okay, and they go and they're gone in a year. Yeah, what happened? Well, God, I think, God and, must and, have failed because you said God right. called you. Well, the language and the, well, this is all this is all has to do with vocation, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. One of the ways that so, for instance, <clears throat> Paul knew that he had been called to be an apostle because. Jesus Christ literally came to him and said, Paul, I'm putting you in the apostleship. (laughs) Similarly, how do I know that I'm called to be a pastor? Because the church voted me in. Mm -hmm. That's when I know. I wasn't called to be a pastor before then until the church voted me. Now, I may have said, I want to pursue that, Mm -hmm. or this is something I'm interested in, but not until the church called me did Jesus Christ call me into being a pastor. Similarly, how do I know I'm called to be married? Well, not till I'm actually married and I find somebody who wants to be married to me and I'm legally married. Until that exact moment, you cannot fully say, I have been called to be married. Mm-hmm. You may want to be married and you can pray for that. And I think in what is the principle there is callings do not arise. We can't self-call ourselves. Yeah. You are called by people and by God outside of yourself, and God uses other people to do that for you. So how do I know I'm called to be a lawyer? Well, if a law, if I pass all of the law degrees, get all the degrees, and then a law firm actually calls me and I pass the bar exam, then I know I am called to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Now, I can pursue that 
And I, that's fine. There's no sin in that. But I just think that's the way calling works mm-hmm. yeah. is God. It, it comes from outside of us. And there's a certain sense in which I think. Um, and we see that played out even in call, Paul's conversion yeah. because he's converted. Right. And he is told by God, by Christ there, right. this is what you're going to do. And it, Paul's not left alone just to his word to go up to people and say this because then the Lord goes to Ananias, Ananias. and says, yes. yeah. get ready, Paul's on his right. way. And Ananias even has like a little argument like, wait, that guy? Mm-hmm. No, right. no, no, no. Right. Like, nope, I have a specific task for him and sure. you're going to train him. Right. Well, right. and, then, and then he's, he's sent <laughs> yep. out by the church in Acts 13. Yeah, and then he's sent right. out there's by the confirmation. church. Right. There's, there's, yep. there's God uses other people yep, to, to call us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so in... in Again, and we are talking about like specific tasks. I mentioned church planning or pastors yeah, and stuff. Anything, but though. anything in in your life as you as you as you live, right? To be faithful where where you're at mm-hmm. and the things that you you are doing. And so, if you're a if you're a college student right now and you are working at McDonald's, you are called mm-hmm. to be a college student working at McDonald's. Yep, <laughs> that's yep. what you are. That's what you do. Now you might have these aspirations of doing other things, and by all means. Try to achieve those. Try to try to do those things. Pray that God will give you the strength to do it and to help you to do it. But also be praying, but God, if that doesn't work out and that's not where you want me, change that. Right. Right? Change right. that. Uh, yeah, anyways. And the, then God will call you to something to else. something else. And callings do change in our lives. Sure. And also, um, yeah, I think all of those things. I think also, yeah, like you pointed out, it's another thing that's really important is calling is always in the present Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in our efforts to always look to the future, we forget where God's put us right now. And uh, we can we can plan for the future, but not to the extent that we neglect where God has called us and placed us yeah. at the present time. All right, so let's get to the meat of this passage real quick. Paul goes on in verse 13 and talks about his horrible past, how he is a, a horrible sinner, blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. We've already talked about this some. Um, how he gladly participated in the killing of Christians, would, would zealously look and try to find them uh, to do that work. And Paul even states, I had a clear conscience in this, in verse 13. Like, I didn't feel like a sinner. I didn't feel like a bad person. I thought I was doing what God would have me do and would want me to do, mm-hmm. right? There was no guilt in this. Right, he says, I voted against them whenever the <laughs> vote, whenever I got the option. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, thumbs down. Yeah, get rid of these people. right. Which, again, I think he is connecting himself to the false teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, thinking, the false teachers probably don't see themselves as doing anything wrong. They're trying mm-hmm. to help this church out. Like, man, you guys really want to be righteous and holy? You should do this on top of it, and it'll really help. Right? It's really going to go a long way. Um, and so he's kind of setting himself up with them. And But, it, again, that points out, a clear conscience does not equal sinless. A clear conscience does not mean that what you're doing is correct and right it does not mean forgiveness because you have this clear conscience right sin is sin and there are different levels of sin there's different consequences of sin we know this but all sin equals death equals hell and equals wrath and that is the big problem and and paul brings that out there at the end of the end of 13 paul knows what he deserved but this is what makes it so glorious the next the next few verses i he knows what he deserved but that's not what he got because as he gets into verse 14, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith that the love and love that are in Christ Jesus, right? He, he goes and starts talking about grace and how God didn't just give him enough, but overflowed him with grace in his life. Even in the midst of his, 
of his sin in the midst of his clear conscience and sinning, right, is when the Lord saved him on the road to Damascus and set his path onto something different. And this is just seems to be this great truth that Paul can't get over. And that's what leads to verse 15, which is really an important verse in this section because Paul states what Jesus came for, which I think in stating that is kind of saying, this is our task too, right? What is it? What does he say in 15? He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Mm -hmm. Jesus came to save sinners. Yep. And again, Paul's using himself as an example saying, I'm the worst one. And he saved me himself. Mm -hmm. Nothing else added. Just Jesus saved me. And it's almost kind of get this feeling too, is if Jesus came to save sinners and we are a part of the body of Christ, right? And the Holy Spirit is here to point us to Christ over and over again. Then what should my purpose be on earth? I can't save a sinner, but I definitely can point them to the one who does. If that's why Jesus came, if that was like the main reason, right? The only other thing I could think of that would top it would be to obey the Father and in like reason for coming. Jesus came to be obedient to the Father, but in doing that was to come to save sinners. It had a purpose. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so then that should be what we are trying to do is share with sinners who are undeserving that there is grace that is being given freely through Jesus Christ and through him alone. And that's Paul's point. That's what he's trying to say here. We're not adding anything to this. It's only through Christ. who He came here to do that, and guess what? He has done that. He's accomplished it. His work is perfect in that. Did you yeah. have something, Scott? I was just going to say that I think that it was at that point in your sermon when you asked everybody to reflect on yeah. the time when they remembered he came to save me, mm-hmm. right? He he saved me, yeah, right. And just thinking back to that, and it was everybody has a different story. You know, you kind of shared yours a little bit, but just I was very encouraged just to think back to that mm-hmm. of when I realized I realized two things, right? I realized I am a sinner that does not deserve to be saved, but he still did, right? And that was just a very encouraging thing to remember yesterday. Yeah, I had one of our church members come to me last night. He plays the piano some. He's how old is Tom? Eighty one. He's eighty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was telling me he was he was saved when he was like eight, mm-hmm. and he was thinking. He said he was thinking back to that, and he just he said I re, he goes I I remember he goes before that for a couple of years, knowing that I was a sinner who was going to go to hell even as a kid. Mm-hmm. He said it tormented me. Mm-hmm. And he, he was he was saying even my Sunday school teachers would ask, Who's going to heaven? He said, and all the kids would raise their hand except for me. Mm. He goes, and I remember saying, I can't raise my hand. I know I'm not going to heaven. Mm-hmm. I'm I I'm a sinner. And he said, I've heard I heard the gospel numerous times. He said, but for some reason, one Sunday night, his dad came in his room and said, Tommy, have have you ever been saved by Jesus? No. Do you want to? Yeah. I really do. Right? And he just was sharing with me back there how his dad said, Well, Let's pray. And he's like, he said, I don't even know what my dad prayed. He said, my dad prayed way longer than I did. He said, my prayer was very simple. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Like just something super basic, Mm -hmm. right? And he said at that moment, he goes, again, I was young, didn't understand, but I knew God saved me and that Jesus had done that for me, Mm -hmm. right? And he's in his 80s thinking back to 
70 some years ago and just saying how I know that God did that. And he continues to do that. And he, he's then worked in Tom's life all this time to help him grow, right? Help him mature in the Lord, all these different things. But he was saying how he could feel like Paul, just thinking about that grace again in his life and how exciting that is. Mm -hmm. And that it continues to overflow, that it starts to well you up inside to where you get like Paul there in verse 17, when he, he busts out in like a little doxology, a little Mm -hmm. song of praise Mm -hmm. or worship, just attributing to God, God's goodness, nothing else. Absolutely. Just of of who he is and and what he has done. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we can get stuck Right, as Christians, especially if we've been Christians a while, and even when you're taking this faith, you're taking it seriously, and you're trying to serve Him and honor Him, sometimes we can get stuck in the weeds of it. You know, just the weeds of church life, the weeds of life in general, um, to where I think we forget about what we would say is basic, but what is vital to our faith, and that is this that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, Mm -hmm. and Paul would say, of who I am the foremost. Mm -hmm. I think also uh, the latter part of that is very important because Paul does not say, of whom I was the foremost. No, yeah. So Paul's not saying Jesus had to save me when I was really bad back then. And now I'm good, yeah. He says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and that's who I am right now, the chief and so for the Christian, um, the, the present tense is always true uh, because we remain sinful in this flesh still. Um, the old man remains, uh, even though we trust the reign of sin has been toppled. There is remaining sin. Um, but for Paul, he says, I still am the foremost of sinners. And uh, so uh, that is a very important point, I think, that the gospel always is is still a present reality for Christians. Mm-hmm. It's not as if I've, I've moved on, um, but it's Jesus Christ. This, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and guess what? That's who I still am, and Jesus Christ still saves me. His atonement, I'm resting under that, that, that infinitely sufficient mm-hmm. atonement. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's an important point because... Um, uh, the the gospel is not simply for us when we first believe; it's for us as we continue to believe, and that's where Paul's at in verse fifteen. Yeah, yeah. You know, our the Bible tells us that God is immutable; He's never changing, mm-hmm. and that's not something that we have. We don't we don't have that attribute. And one of the things we struggle with as Christians is is that change. And what I mean by that, the reason I'm saying it is. It's almost like we get past grace and we're like, oh, wait, what's the next thing? Right. And we should never do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, we sit here and think, well, what should we preach about on Sunday? We should preach about the grace that God has provided through Jesus. We should never get past that. There's a lot of other important things to talk about, and we do. But I can see where if you're really stuck on grace, it'd be hard to go to those things. Like, how should our church govern itself? It's like, yeah. I know we should talk about that, but what if we just tell everybody about grace again, you know, and, and just how awesome yeah. it is and spectacular it is. And, and again, I, I know other things are important and we have the whole counsel of God and in, in that I get that, but it's like, we're going to have a room of three to 400 people on Sunday. What should we tell them? 
Maybe we should tell them that Jesus dies for well, sin. And I heard, I heard another, I heard a, a quote recently on a podcast I was listening to, but they said no one ever committed sin because of preaching God's grace. <laughs> right. Yeah. And sometimes we believe that. Yeah. We think people are just going to keep sinning if we just talk about grace. Now it doesn't mean we don't ever talk about the law. I'm right. not saying that no, we no, talk no. about yeah. the law. Yeah. But there's almost this idea that if you keep talking about grace, people are just going to keep sinning. That's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way this works. And I think we have that natural fear that if we don't, if we don't get back to um, uh, a focus on law, that we're therefore going to create a bunch of people who just don't do anything for the Lord. And there is a place for the law to guide us and to say, this is what's pleasing to the Lord as a Christian. That would be called the third use of the law. And we believe that. But, um, but on the other hand, but I think that comes naturally. And I agree. I think that third use of the law comes very naturally. That I don't have to tell somebody that if yeah, you go just, if you go to a little kid and you do something nice for them, so often they want to do something nice for you right back. Well, that seems I don't have yeah. to teach them. That yeah. seems to be Romans six. I know. You're you right. know what I mean? Like yeah. that just yeah. seems to be. Um, well, that, you, that you, seems you, to be the logic of the gospel. You said a quote last night with Spurgeon about uh, he was preaching <laughs> and a guy was there, yeah. and then twenty years later the guy came back, heard a message, and told Spurgeon basically you're preaching the same <laughs> yeah. God, the same thing and mm-hmm. and Spurgeon's response is what hopefully ours is yes it's like it's the same gospel message and then 20 years later I'll still yeah, be doing the it, same it'll thing it'll be the same thing and people be, yeah and right. we should just be enraptured by it because yep. of the mag, the mad how mad majestic it is there it is mm-hmm. sure Got and people there. would people would say that say about George Whitfield you know I, I remember the story up here of the old lady that came up to George Whitfield and said, Mr. Whitfield, can you preach something different, something more exciting? And she, he's like, Madam, I'm going to only preach Christ and Christ mm-hmm. crucified. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's the gospel. There's a, there's a painting and, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, and I, I'm, anyway, there's a painting of Luther and there's a painting of him standing up here on the one side. Spencer, are you crying? No, is, I'm just a little emotional. Luther, just a right. little emotional. Um, <laughs> but there's people down below, right? There's like the crowd, and he's preaching, but he's pointing, and away, and what he's pointing to is Christ on the cross, and that's 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 what the church service is in essence. Is all we're doing is we're all sitting here, we're looking, and and Tim or whoever's in the pulpit, it's your you talk about other things, but the thing you have to get to at the end of the day is to do that. And just point to Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Mm-hmm. You have to get there. Otherwise, in my humble conviction, it's not a Christian sermon. Right. I, you know, I meant, I mentioned in the sermon talking about theologians, you know, and uh, people who like to dive into the books and they like to get into the weeds of that. And they like to talk about all these different little uh, things that, again, they're, they're important. I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize their importance. But I, I know what that world is like. I've, I've been in that world, and at times I'm drawn to that world. And that's why I guess why I bring it up, and because I do see it as important. But sometimes we can get lost in that world and forget this simple truth of what Paul is telling us here in this in verse 15. It's like Jesus came for sinners. Mm-hmm. And we can sit here and fight each other. We can nitpick. There's reasons we have denominations. There's all this stuff, yes. And there's there's value in it. Okay, I'm not dismissing that, but I know too many Christians who just sit in that and fight. And it's like you know what you'd do a lot better at go tell somebody about the love of Jesus just straight up. Mm-hmm. 
right? Just just do that. Don't don't fight them. Don't get mad at them. Just share with them the good news because they are dying and going to hell without any hope, right? And they need Jesus. And guess what? He came to for sinners, for people like them, mm-hmm. of who you are, right? Um, Alistair Begg had said in one of his sermons recently I was listening to that sometimes he just has to get out of the office and he goes to a coffee place to be reminded this is what we're here for. Mm. We're here for these people who are lost. And you'll find a lot of sinners at Starbucks, at right? Starbucks. Scott? I mean, gladly for... giving to more sinners. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. No, no I mean, we're making like, fun of Starbucks a little bit, but that's yeah. fine. You that's make right. fun of all you want. <laughs> but that's, that's very true. And you know, I don't, I can't remember if Spencer, you said this on Sunday evening or if you said it, Tim, but what do we really want our church to be known for? I mean, number one, I don't want our church to be known. I want Christ to be known, mm-hmm. but if our church is known for anything, I don't want it to be because of any kind of musical style or secondary or tertiary convictions. I want it to be known that this is where sinners can come and hear mm-hmm. the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I want our people to be known as people that are ready and willing to share it yep. with those that they know. That's a faithful church. That's yeah. 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 That's right. That, that's, that's a church right there. So, yeah. That's what, if, if our church is known for anything, that's what we need to be known for. Yeah. yeah, and it's hard. And I guess people listening to us, you know, we're the four pastors of this church, and we have other leaders in the church. We have deacons, and we have other other leaders. We're not the only ones, but we are the four pastors. And the biggest pull, probably, the biggest sinful pull in temptation is to divert from what you just said because it might produce more butts in the pews, <laughs> right? Yeah. And one of the things that you could be praying for us about is to not divert from that because, and that's not coming from outside the walls. Oftentimes that temptation is coming from inside the walls, just like it was here, right? The false teachers are coming up within. I'm not saying we're like full of false teachers, but I'm saying you, you get people saying, what if we do this as a church? What if we start to do this? Won't this start to attract? Won't we do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it does start to get like, oh, maybe. And it's so easy to get on Facebook and look at other churches and be like, gosh, they're they're doing this and it's really working. They're really getting a lot of people there, you know. And I don't want to fall to that temptation. Mm-hmm. Like Scott said, I would rather be known as Monroe Missionary. They're kind of dull. And if you go there, I can tell you what you're going to hear. They're going to read scripture passages you're going to hear a couple prayers. You'll sing a couple songs, and then they're going to preach for like 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and you're going to hear a sermon from the Bible. I, I'm, I'm happy with that if that's what we are known as. You know, you know, the funny thing is, though, is I think, and on the one hand, I think you're right that um, people look at other churches and they can think that, that that'd be a temptation. The one thing I wanted to encourage us and uh, others is that well, and I said this on Sunday night, from especially about your sermon on Sunday morning, is that message is something that will make us stand out right. as a church. And I'm not saying that's going to be getting the crowds, but I am saying don't also underestimate the fact that preaching this way, preaching the gospel, and making sure your church is rooted around that um, is going, you're going to stand out because most churches are not doing that. Mm-hmm. They're not right. There, there's a reason why many of them all look the same now, because they're all trying to do the same thing, which is not preaching about the cross. So, as we do that, though, people need to realize that in this region, as in regions all around the U.S., that message is unique. It's it's different, 
And, uh, and I think that's actually a feature, not a bug. No, I agree. To the church. I agree. And uh, we pray that God would use that, right? Use his word. And we've seen that. We've seen people come to know the Lord here uh, recently. We've, we've seen people in the baptistry uh, getting baptized. We've seen people diving into the word of God and wanting to, wanting to grow. Uh, we've seen people doing ministry who maybe haven't been doing that before. And the reason is because God's working in their life, right? And, and we thank God that he, that he does work. And it's not because of... Uh, PR or, any, or anything like that, right? Not, not trying to manufacture something. Uh, we want to trust His word and His means that He's given us to to do that to do that work, and we want to be we want to be faithful uh, in that as pastors, and that's our that's our hope. Well, uh, next week we'll be continuing in Timothy, probably finishing finishing up the first chapter. It's going to be a long day. We got two more podcasts to do, and I can't say a word. I keep stuttering. I keep mumbling. You need some coffee. Get rid of that tea. The tea tastes really good, though, today. You need to get rid of that. Lemongrass. Green tea. What are you, a cow? It's called yeah. lemongrass. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Thank you. It's called zen. Uh, I need that when I'm with you guys, some zen. So I drink a 32-ounce glass of it. Zen. <laughs> you, some balance to your life. Yeah. You need to take that, take that drink and go walk around Bath and Body Works or something. Oh, hey, they know. got really good sugar scrubs for your hands. <laughs> yeah, there's some still open in the mall. It's still yeah, there. It's the only store left. Everything else is closed. <laughs> <laughs> and eat at a taco place, I heard. Comic book yeah, store. There's a taco place we need to try. Uh, yeah, comic we, book store. Hey, we need to wait for yeah. cheat day, though. <laughs> When's that? Uh, Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, all right, well. Like I said, we'll continue in First Timothy. Thank you for listening today. We really hope to see you on Sunday, Lord willing. Um, until then, God bless. Have a great week.